And it's another week. This is Andrew Wood, Executive Director of Hope Resource Center. Thank you so much for tuning in, whether that be live over at Joy620 or you're listening to the podcast at investinghope.com, Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, wherever podcasts are found. You can find this show. Today we got a lot to talk about as we look at the landscape across the country when it comes to abortion and life. And folks, my goal today is to simply bring some clarity. Look, you know, I told somebody over the weekend At times, I feel as if I'm in a boat, and the boat is taking on water, and I have a bucket, and the bucket has a hole in it. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, when we try to bring clarity to the issue of abortion and life and the legislation that's being passed in the state of Tennessee and around the country and trigger laws and abortion bans and the Dobbs case out of Mississippi and all the like and Roe being overturned, when we try to have this conversation from a logical perspective— then there are folks that say things that are flat out untrue. And so when, when folks say things that are untrue in a, in a logical world, they would be fact checked and, and it would be, it would be known that, hey, what this person said was, was untrue, regardless if they have a blue check mark on Twitter or if they pretend to carry some type of credibility on social media. But instead, we live in an upside-down world, so when we try to bring clarity to the issue with logic, the illogical world that we live in, the upside-down world that we live in, then folks say things that just aren't true and, and no one corrects them. So what do I mean by that? There's a couple things that I mean when we talk about that, and that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at what the president said on Friday of last week with executive order concerning abortion. We're going to look at what he did say and what he didn't say. We're going to look at a poll at a Harvard that opens our eyes to truly where we stand when it comes to life and abortion in this country. And the poll out of Harvard, Harvard, not a a bastion of pro-lifeism. And so it's going to be interesting to look at that poll and look at the data that presents itself. Then we're going to look at, there's a piece that I want to focus on talking about family. And so as we have these conversations and as we have these debates and as we have this dialogue, if we are not talking about setting up and fostering an environment that that cultivates family, then we're not doing ourselves any favors. We're actually doing a disservice to where we need to be. So what we're finding is those that that are proponents of abortion, that are proponents of our culture continuing down the path that it's going down, they cannot bring themselves to admit the importance of a nuclear family structure. Because if they, if they admit that, then they admit that men have a role. If they admit that, then they, they admit that men and women have separate roles that are distinct. If they admit that, then they admit that men and women are distinct and different. Well, they can't do that in current culture. So when they say, oh, we have gun problems, when they say, oh, we have uh, incarceration problems, we have high school dropout problems, we have poverty problems, we have all these things that are problems in our society, it's hard for them to admit, hey, one of the biggest things that could make a change in that is, is creating and celebrating family. Because when you have a nuclear family together, mom, dad, kids in the same home, poverty goes down. Incarceration goes down. Dropout of high school goes down. See, see 
we know that by the data. And, and another thing I want to point out before I get into what the president had to say on Friday. And I had this conversation with someone the other day. When I'm talking to someone individually, sometimes that data point may not help. Right. So so like when my wife had a miscarriage, ROB at the time said one in three pregnancies end in miscarriages. That data point meant nothing to me because in that moment in time, I'm not a data point. I'm a person that's struggling and mourning a miscarriage. But when I'm talking about policy, when I'm talking to politicians and I'm talking about, hey, this is a policy that could affect change in our country. Data points matter. Because that's how we structure our, our system. That's how we structure policy. We look at the data, how it affects the populace as a whole, and then we make policy that will fix, correct, or engage the populace as a whole. But, but because we live in an illogical world, sometimes these logical conversations uh, don't get very far. And that brings me to the White House and the president's statement just the other day on Friday. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because from what I've read and what I've gathered, when, when Roe was overturned on June 24th, even though we had kind of a month's head start, we, we knew that the leaked draft from Alito pointed to the overturning of Roe. So if I knew that as a guy that lives in Knoxville, Tennessee, then you got to believe that the administration knew that because they live in Washington, D.C. But, but from what I gather in, in reading accounts, it appears as if the administration was almost taken off guard, that the, the actual liaison for the Supreme Court and the president's office was going to get coffee and, and got the notification that Roe was overturned, just like I got the notification that Roe was overturned. That's, that seems hard to believe. But, but abortion proponents have been calling for, for President Biden to do something to fix this. We gotta stack the Supreme Court. We gotta impeach those justices that, that put, that, that overturned Roe. We, we have to go find them at restaurants and make them uncomfortable. We have to go protest outside their house and we need to codify Roe and abortion for the nation. And they've been, Joe Biden needs to do an executive order to do this, that, or the other. And so Joe Biden on Friday, after weeks, after two weeks of Roe being overturned, did have an executive order and, and did hold a press conference on a Friday, which was, of course, that's why they did that, because it's going into a weekend. And it's kind of a media dump uh, on a Friday. Now, now, this isn't going to appease abortion proponents. Now, Joe Biden also said, his office said over the weekend, we're not going to kowtow to the extremists that are out of step with our party. That, that was his words. I don't think that these positions are out of step with their party because their party has been calling for abortion on demand for any reason up to nine months for years now. Now, now Joe Biden hasn't been calling for that until like 15 minutes ago till he ran for president. But here we are. And, and so the executive order, which isn't going to have much teeth. It's not going to do much. Uh, I'm, I'm opposed to legislating with a pen from the executive office. That is not how we, we are set up. Uh, Obama did it. Then Trump came in and undid a lot of things that Obama did. And then Biden came in and undid a lot of things that Trump did. And so that's not the way we 
make policy in this country. It shouldn't be. Uh, but, but so a couple things to point out. Here was the goal of the executive order by President Biden. Safeguarding access to reproductive health care services, including abortion and contraception. Again, there is no law in the country that's, that's harming anyone getting contraception, period. No law anywhere in the country that is going to keep someone from getting contraception. It's just not going to happen. It's not out there, but they keep saying it as if it's true, but it's not. Again, it goes back to we're living in illogical times. So when we try to use logic to discuss things about this, it feels as if we're just beating our head up against the wall because they say things that just aren't true. Protecting the privacy of patients and their access to accurate information. Promoting the safety and security of patients, providers, and clinics. Now, they say this, and at no point in any of this statement did he mention pregnancy centers that have been targeted over 50 times since Roe was overturned. He's talking about protections for abortion clinics. And then it says, coordinating the implementation of federal efforts to protect reproductive rights and access to health care. So the president has directed the Secretary of Health and Human Services, which is Becerra. Let me give you some context. The Director of Health and Human Services of the United States of America used to be the, the guy in California that targeted pregnancy centers on the, on the regular. Okay, So when I went to the Supreme Court four years ago and stood on the steps at a rally defending pregnancy centers, that case that was at the Supreme Court was Becerra versus Nifla. Because Becerra in, I don't know if that's how you say his name. That's what I'm going to say. Becerra in California targeted pregnancy centers. They were saying that pregnancy centers need to refer for abortion, that pregnancy centers need to have posted in their lobby, we do not provide abortion, and here's how you can get an abortion in the state of California. And guess who won that case? NIFLA and the pregnancy centers won that case. So Becerra has made his career on activism when it comes to abortion. He wants abortion on demand up to nine months. Becerra is also the one that was interviewed the other day and when asked about what was the administration prepared to do with the overturning of Roe, he said everything is on the table, including putting abortion clinics on federal lands within states that are restricting abortion. Now, that's nonsense. So, so when, you, when, when I say these folks are extreme on abortion, that's not me making it up. That's me hearing their words, listening to what they're saying, listening to what and reading what they're writing and going, yeah, that's pretty extreme. If Tennessee wants to restrict abortion after the overturning of Roe, they should have the liberty to do that. You should not be able then to come into the National Park of the Smokies and put up abortion clinics. And I don't know how you're going to do that without using tax dollars because we have the Hyde Amendment in place that says you cannot use tax dollars to perform abortions. But that, they, they are literally saying we're looking at every option, including putting abortion clinics on, on federal land in states that we don't agree with. Now, just imagine if a conservative tried to do that. Just imagine. It's nonsense. So he says they want to protect access to medication abortion. HHS will take additional action to protect and expand access to abortion care, including access to medication that the FDA approved as safe and effective over 20 years ago. Safe and effective for who? Is it safe and effective for the baby that it's 
killing? I, I would say not. They say they want to ensure emergency medical care. Uh, they'll take steps to ensure all patients, including pregnant women and those experiencing pregnancy loss, have access to the full rights and protections for emergency medical care afforded under the law. Here's the thing. Here's another thing Joe Biden said in his press conference. He said, with these laws in place, so with Roe overturned in these states that are enacting restrictions on abortion, he actually argued that women facing ectopic pregnancies and women facing miscarriages would not be able to receive the care that they need. That is a lie. There is no law in the United States of America that would prevent a doctor from intervening and saving the life of a mom in an ectopic pregnancy. There is no law on the books anywhere in the United States of America that would, that would hinder a doctor from performing care for a woman that went through a miscarriage. So what's happening here is they are saying things that aren't true and they're creating confusion. An ectopic pregnancy is not an abortion. It's not. An ectopic pregnancy is typically found at seven to eight weeks. It's found in the fallopian tube. The baby is not where it needs to be. The embryo is not where it needs to be. The chance of viability for that embryo, for that baby, is 0%. So oftentimes when you find an ectopic pregnancy, the baby, the embryo, is already dead. And, and because there's tissue that's still growing and it's not where it's supposed to be, that puts that mom's life in danger. And, and the protocol is immediately go to the emergency room and let's, make, let's do the proper thing to save the life of the mom. Even in the rare cases where the heartbeat is found in that instance, the baby, the embryo is outside of where it needs to be and is found in the fallopian tube. That means tissue is still growing. Baby is still growing. The chance of viability for that child is 0%. And so there is no law anywhere that's going to harm a doctor from stepping in and performing the proper procedure to save the life of that mom in an ectopic pregnancy. Just like if a woman has a miscarriage. Now on your medical chart, it may say spontaneous abortion. That is not the intentional ending of the life. My wife had a miscarriage. That's not an abortion. And so if you need to go get a procedure done after that miscarriage, there is no law that's going to hinder a doctor from performing that. So when they say these things, they're creating confusion and they're being dishonest. We'll talk more about it when we come back. So now what I want to do is, I mean, I could go on and on about what the president said on Friday, but I think I've... Uh, I think we talked about that enough. Ultimately, that executive order that was put in place on Friday will do very little. Uh, it was it was more of a hey, let's we're we're we want to save face with with those that have extreme ideologies on, on in our party. We want to act as if we're doing something. I've asked the HHS to do this or do that so they can say, look, we're looking at all avenues. You're going to see a lot of interviews coming up where they say we're looking at everything on the table. So they'll, they'll say those things and they'll get, they'll get me riled up and they'll get the other side going, yeah, we're going to do something, but ultimately they're not. They don't have the votes. If they think they can codify this in, into law, they do not have the votes, period. And, and, and if, if the midterms go the way I think they're going to go, they certainly aren't going to have the votes after the election.
and we're already seeing over the weekend, you're seeing reports about uh, the president's age. And is that really good? So you're seeing news outlets that normally are champions of this administration laying the groundwork. If the midterms go the way they think they're going to go, you're going to have a lamed up president. You know, at the very least, he'll say, I'm not going to run for another term due to health issues or to, to leave room for the young folks coming up. Uh, at worst, they'll, they'll convince him to resign before his term's even over because the, the polling numbers are so bad right now and inflation and gas prices and the like. So they're trying to get people to, to believe, look, abortion is the number one, number one issue for me. The reality is for, for the bulk of the populace, it, it's way down on the list. It's way down the list. And so that's, that's where we are. But I do want to talk about a poll from Harvard. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because what this poll says is very different than what you see in the media and what you hear from politicians. Uh, this person that wrote it is Jonathan Turley. And he said he previously wrote about how most Americans are not aligned by the most extreme views of both parties on abortion. Many Democratic leaders have been speaking of absolute abortion rights, as reflected in states like Colorado, which recognize the right to abortion until the moment of birth at nine months. Many Republican leaders have been speaking of absolute or near-absolute bans on abortion, as reflected in states like Arkansas, with only limited exceptions for life of the mother. Now, a Harvard poll reaffirms earlier polling that shows most Americans embrace views closer to Mississippi than Michigan on abortion. Indeed, while Democratic leaders denounced the Mississippi law setting a 15-week limit on abortion, 72% of those polled opposed abortion generally after that limit. So 72% of the populace say we need to have abortions, uh, we need to have restrictions on abortions at 15 weeks. A poll conducted after the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe found that 72% of Americans would allow abortion only until the 15th week of pregnancy or a more restrictive law. That transcends party affiliation. Even 60% of Democrats believe abortion should be prohibited after the 15th week or a more restrictive law. That is also consistent with most other countries. Internationally, only seven countries allow abortion after the 20th week. Notably, 75% of women support the 15-week cutoff or a more restrictive law, while 69% of men also agree with that timeline. The poll also shows that 44% of voters believe that state legislatures should have the power to determine abortion standards, while 25% believe Supreme Court justices should decide the issue. Another 31% believe that Congress should pass national abortion laws. This and other polling shows that while most Americans support a federal right to abortion, they do not support the more liberal position of abortion rights extending beyond 15 weeks. In other words, they hold a position closer to where the concurrence of Chief Justice John Roberts would have left the, the matter to uphold Mississippi's law while preserving Roe v. Wade. That is at odds with what we're hearing from the Democratic Party. And I'll go, I could go on and on, but the reality is what they're saying is the polls are, are, are showing that most people are somewhere in the middle. Now, I'm not happy with that. I don't want people to be in the middle, but, but that's where most people are. They're in the middle. And so if they're in the middle, then, then why are we seeing folks say, oh, the, all the populace wants abortion on demand up to nine months? Why do we hear things as like, oh, well, women want more abortion when, when this poll shows that actually more women want to see the restrictions than men do? I mean, it's pretty close, 69 to 71%. But, but see, we're, we're hearing one thing in social media and from politicians and from the news outlets when the, the 
American people are saying something very different. So it's important, again, in, in an illogical time, to be logical. And it's difficult. But I won't camp there. What, what I will say is the polls matter. Let's look at those, and, and we'll do that the best we can. But now I want to shift to what, what we need to do about families. I talked about this earlier. But there's a piece over at the USA Today that said, The American dream can be achieved if we spend more time building strong, stable families. This is written by Brad Wilcox, who is a great follow. Uh, he does great work on, on life. He does great work on families and fatherhood. His focus is when it comes to confronting some of our most serious problems from child poverty to school failure to mass incarceration, one of the biggest factors driving these problems cannot be uttered in our national conversation. In mainstream media outlets, on college campuses and public schools, we hear that race is the critical issue or poverty or income inequality or inadequate public spending on issue after issue. All the while, the factor that often supersedes these factors left unmentioned. We're talking about the F word. And in that case, it means family. For all of the problems mentioned above, for instance, family stability is better predictor than factors like race, government spending, and education. Take the American dream for poor children. When Harvard uh, economist Raj Shetty and his team went looking for best predictors of economic mobility for poor kids, what did they find? It wasn't economic inequality, school spending, race, it was this. The strongest and most robust predictor is the fraction of children with single parents. Yet the journalists, the academics, the congressional policymakers, and the foundation executives who dominate the national conversation rarely, if ever, confront the family factor lurking beneath many of our country's biggest problems. Why is this? Well, it says this, my half of the political spectrum, the left half, too often dismisses the importance of family structure, partly out of a worthy desire to celebrate the heroism of single parents. Progressives too often downplay family structures. This is a problem for two reasons. First, it prevents us from focusing on the family divide that has opened up in America over the past century. Listen to this. As late as 1970, there were no major differences in marriage and family life by class. Rich or poor, working class or middle class, most Americans lived in married families. But as we note in a new report, family stability, bridging America's social capital divide, an enormous family chasm has emerged in the U.S. in the decades since. Also a problem because it prevents us from tackling the economic and cultural causes of America's cavernous family divide. The second problem with not being able to talk about the family factor is that we feel no pressure to generate solutions to bridge the family divide. Nothing, for instance, is being done at the state and federal levels to address the decline in male marriageability which is the falling share of men in their prime who are employed full-time, a decline concentrated among men with college degrees as well as minority men. The same goes for the culture currents steering elites towards stable families and everyone else away from them. A recent study found that compared with the less educated, California's college educated were more likely to embrace a public ethic that family diversity should be celebrated, while at the same time reporting a desire for themselves personally to be married before having children. Did you hear that? The very folks that are saying we don't need families, they say that outwardly, but when it comes to their own lives, they say, yeah, we should be married before we have children. It's the same folks that say, well, personally, I'm pro-life, but outwardly, I'm pro-choice. That's nonsense. That's what that is. 
we know what the best scenario is, period. We know. The data shows it. We know it from personal experience. Strong and stable families should not be the privilege of an elite club. That's why our ruling class, from Capitol Hill to the Hollywood Hill, should address the family factor fairly and start the work of bridging America family, America's family divide. Look, when we talk about family structure, it should not be an option for only the privileged. It should not be an only an option for the college educated, for the elite. But that's what we find. Why? Because in our current culture, remember, upside down world, illogical. Out of one side of our mouth, we're arguing, we don't need family. Men and women don't have different roles. That, that's what we hear in our culture. We don't need a man and a woman in a home with children. You don't need to wait till you get married to have babies. We hear these things, and they celebrate these things. But personally, all these folks, many of them, if not all of them, that are making these arguments, what do their lives look like? They waited till they got married to have kids. They embraced the family structure. Stability came with that. Not all the time. Look, there, there are great single parents that have raised amazing kids. They've put in the work and done amazing things. I'm not discounting that. There are great, there, there are families that, that were married and fought for their marriage and they, they did a terrible job on marriage and they did a terrible job with their children. I'm not saying that, that it's all or nothing. What I'm saying is when we look at the data, best case scenario, the ideal scenario is man, woman in the home with their children. Preferably husband, wife in home with their children. We know that. And so when they say we need to tackle incarceration, we need to tackle poverty, we need to tackle education, we need to tackle high school dropouts, we need to, we need to do all these things. If they are not talking about family as a means to tackle those issues, then they're wasting their breath and their time. That's why we're having dad's class at Hope. That's why we're having mom's class. At hope, because we know the best case scenario is family. It creates more stability. It brings people out of poverty. High school graduation rates increase in those scenarios. We know it, the data knows it, yet we do nothing about it. We must. We'll be back. So as we finish up today... Look, a lot of information uh, on this show, but it's important information. These are things that we need to be talking about. Um, and, and, and again, understand that we live in an illogical world. From a biblical perspective, if you, if you operate in a biblical worldview, when sin entered the world, it fractured everything. So it turned things upside down. Jesus is, in the gospel acting in our lives, is the turning things right side up. But we live in an upside-down world where truth matters little if, if the lie or the misdirection helps our narrative. So I would caution you, as much as I want the narrative to shift to one that, that celebrates life, I'm not going to do that in deceitful ways just because the, the means justify the ends. But there's a large segment of, of 
political leaders that are wi- and activists that are willing to do that. And so they make up stories. And then unfortunately, we have to spend some time and energy and resources to undo a lot of that nonsense that's being put out there. And so how are we doing that? Well, at Hope, we're offering some Q&As for you. I mean, I have been blown away uh, at the response and support of, of Hope since June 24th, since the overturning of Roe. Uh, your consistent messages, financial partnering has truly been a gift to me and to Hope staff. And I've also sensed your prayers and forever grateful for your care during this monumental time. So, so what we're doing is we're having Zoom Q&A calls where I'm spending an hour with partners answering questions. So is that to discuss updates about the law? Is that to discuss questions surrounding Tennessee law or, or laws in other countries or laws in other states? Is that to answer questions about ectopic or miscarriages or, or trying to, uh, again, have a logical look at some of the illogical things that are being said? It's to correct the record on, on some things. It's to talk about security. It's to talk about all these things. So if you are listening to, to this show, a lot of this we talk about here. But if you have specific questions, this is a great way. So you can go to our Facebook page or our Instagram page, and you can RSVP for one of those Zoom calls. And you can sit on the call with me, and, and I'll be happy to answer your questions in that, in that setting. And we, we have a number of different uh, times and, and opportunities to do that. And, and we've, we've done three so far. They've been well attended, and, and we've had good conversation all we're trying to do is to correct the record and, and to answer some questions. That's it. It would be easy for me to go, I'm sick of trying to empty this boat with a, with a bucket with a hole in it. I'm out. I'm done. It's not worth my time. That would be easy. But that's not the answer. The answer also isn't, hey, let's go make up some stories that just make our side look good. That's not the answer either. We have to put in the effort. And, and although I don't have a platform like the president has where I can speak to the nation, so I don't have that kind of platform, but I do have access to our partners at Hope. And so if you have questions, concerns, or, uh, or you want to, you know, maybe, hey, how do I, one of the questions that we've gotten is, I just want to know how to have, have these conversations with people in my life. I'm happy to help with that. One thing that I would caution you on is don't spend this time in comment threads on Facebook. It's not going to do any good. It's not going to help. You know, have these one-on-one conversations. I've had a number of them over the last few weeks with friends and acquaintances, but it's been one-on-one. It's not us shouting at each other. It's just having dialogue. And so if you want to join one of these calls, again, go to our Facebook page, go to uh, investinghope.com or go to our Instagram page and you can RSVP there. We'd love to, to have you or you could just email info at knoxvillehope.com and we'll get you set up that way. It's a great way for us to have a conversation. Again, I'm doing them. Uh, they, they last about 45 minutes to an hour depending on the questions and, and the time we spend there. We've had people from not just in Tennessee, not just in Knoxville, but from all over the country joining in on those calls because, look, there's a lot of questions there's a, there's a lot of uh, things to talk about, and I'm a bit of a nerd when it comes to this. And so I read about it all the time, and I spend a lot of time thinking through it, and, and so I'm happy to answer those questions uh, for you if you have them. 
Uh, we'd love to see you. Thank you so much for listening to this show. Thank you for standing with us at Hope. We appreciate your prayers. We appreciate your time. And we'll talk to you next week.